The following program is pre-recorded to air at this time. Welcome to Lotus Radio's weekly public service show, In-Depth. To have your nonprofit featured, email PSA at lotusradio.com. Good morning, and thank you for joining us for In-Depth. My name is Connie Ray, and I'm really looking forward to today's interview. This is kind of our Mayor's Corner edition of In-Depth, and today we're going to be talking with Reno Mayor Hillary Sheevey. And as you know, we're heading into spring and summer. More and more residents and visitors are going to be exploring our city, especially in the downtown area. So I'm very excited to have Mayor Sheevey on with us this morning. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Well, thank you so much. It's always so great to be here with you and see you actually on Zoom. So this I is know fantastic. we're Zooming. It's great. <laughs> I uh, know. We have seen a lot of new things that have been developing in downtown Reno. We've got new housing. We are seeing our students from UNR that are moving into the downtown area. Uh, we're seeing more art and more activity uh, that is happening right now. What are some of the major projects and changes that you're excited about? Yeah, I mean, it's really, it's pretty fascinating to see how everything is evolving. But quite honestly, eight years ago, when I ran for office, and I was knocking on people's doors, I remember people kept saying to me, we want a great, vibrant downtown. And I remember them saying the King's Inn, the King's Inn is so awful. Remember the King's Inn? Right? We, we forget about how blighted the King's Inn was, right? And now we're seeing a very different story. We still have a long way to go, but things are changing rapidly. And obviously the pandemic put us a little bit in a setback, but you've got several big developers coming in downtown, revitalizing it. Look at Harrah's. That's turning into an incredible project. Those apartments, I just actually toured those. Those are beautiful. They're doing a an awesome outdoor space so that people can, you know, enjoy it, listen to live music, see the art. They're bringing in a lot of artwork um, right, right there in the middle where, you know, the Harris property was. So that's really cool. Then you've got the neon line coming into downtown and you're seeing how they're revitalizing everything. You know, they took down a lot of those really awful motels that were causing a lot of blight and they were so run down. They barely had any running water, they had mold everywhere, not hundreds of bed bugs, thousands of bed bugs, um, you know, all along that sort of strip area. And so that's all being revitalized. Glow Plaza tomorrow will be um, on our agenda at the city council, which will be amazing outdoor space for events. So and then one of the things, the big projects I'm working on, and I haven't even talked about it yet. So here's sort of your breaking news is that um, really wanting to revitalize that whole area where the the bowling stadium is and turn it into the Wolfpack Bowl. I really would like to do that and bring our students right downtown and then change the bottom level into breweries and retail and restaurants that are really vibrant and really sort of conducive to what we're trying to do downtown. As you know, we're changing Center Street to University Street and you're just seeing such a different energy that's happening downtown. We're also putting in the cycle track. Right now we have the pilot coming into place to see what's happening. So our cyclists and walkability become, you know, really apparent in a downtown. Um, and so as the lights turn on and projects get underway, we're starting to see that light go away less and less. We've had challenges, I would say. We've had some property owners that have held on to properties and kept them blighted for many, many, many years, not even years, decades. And that has been problematic to revitalize downtown. 
Um, you saw what we accomplished in Midtown, and we can do the same thing downtown. Um, it's just taking a little bit longer because, like I said, we've had property owners that have sat on those properties. But um, I'm excited about the possibilities of bringing in like a collegiate bowling team, bringing in an esports team, you know. And so you would actually have a dual purpose in there. And then, like I said, on the bottom, it would be very um, conducive to retail and to restaurants that are sort of energizing. And then next to it, we have. Um, sort of that city plaza area that I'd like to turn into Reno Live. Anyone that's ever been to LA Live, um, it's a really cool sort of outdoor space for arts and culture. And it just really, it's changing. The dynamic downtown is changing. And I know it's taken a while, but we had to work on Midtown first. Now we're in the downtown area. And as you know, Caesars um, has, you know, bought, they're the number one gaming corporation in the country so caesars is in downtown reno now and want to make a massive investment into arts and culture and entertainment in downtown and then we're seeing more housing um, come up today we just did the groundbreaking for 245 arlington and that is going to be amazing because what happens when we see housing come into the market it also helps us create um sort of that alleviate the stress and strain that we're seeing right now in the housing side, right? A lot of people are seeing their rents go up so much because we don't have enough supply. And so I'm really focusing on sort of the downtown core where it's been really blighted. The more housing that we have, that's how we alleviate the stress and strain of sort of what you're seeing in that housing shortage. That's why our rents go up. That's why it's hard to buy, you know, property, those kinds of things. So when more housing comes up, then we know we're going to see, we're going to start seeing more retail downtown. We're going to start seeing one thing that everyone wants more than anything is a grocery store, right? Some of these, you know, big box grocery stores. Um, so when we have more people downtown, we can put more infrastructure in from cycling to obviously you see the birds down there right now, which is kind of cool. Um, mobility is really important. I, I love the term workforce housing. It's something that you've talked a lot about uh, over the last few months, and you're just mentioning housing. We, and you've said this many times, we have a really great low-income housing in this region where we work very hard to have good low-income housing, but it's workforce housing. Workforce is the restaurant, the casino employees. Talk to me a little bit about what that means to you and what the city is doing to find solutions for workforce housing. Yeah, I think it's that piece that a lot of people don't talk about. And I think it's important to talk about it. And and here's why. Because workforce housing are people that are showing up for us every single day, right? These are our housekeepers. These are our valet attendants, right? These are people that would never qualify for a subsidy, they don't, they make too much to qualify for a subsidy, but they don't make enough to also qualify for a mortgage. So they fall in this piece, which is really challenging for them. So actually what we're starting to see is we're having conversations with actually our largest employers in, in the um, city, which is really exciting and talking to them, would they like to partner on housing projects? So that way, whenever um, their workforce can actually stay in the city that they're working in, right? They can live and work in the city that they're in. We're seeing it a lot in California where a lot of um, teachers or police officers are now having to live outside their city. 
And it shouldn't be that way. Our workforce should be able to afford to live in our city. That is really important. So we're having these conversations now with a lot of our largest employers about how they can partner with us on housing. And then that way it will be a much more sustainable workforce, but also then they can afford to live in great housing and live in the city in which they love. I have always found it interesting, too, that we live in this community where we all know the state of Nevada is so unique when it comes to tax structure. And there has been a lot of criticism on your part of, well, we we partner with all these developers. Well, then you have the other side that says, well, we, we don't want downtown to look like it does anymore. It's just, you know, no one wants to be down there. It's not. You are in a position because of our tax structure and the way that our state and our city is set up that it's so important to work with these developers. Uh, yeah. Explain to me a little bit more about that, why this is such a necessity if we really truly want to have a great downtown. Right. And I think you bring up such a good point. People don't really understand why the tax structure is so difficult because it's capped. And that's you know a great thing, obviously. But at the same time, you know it makes it really challenging for us to pay for services or pay for a great quality of life whenever it's capped. And remember, Nevada, you know, with that depreciation tax is the only state that has that. And I don't think a lot of people understand that's what's been so challenging. So that's where we have to really focus on private and public partnerships, because that's not what the government does, right? Housing authorities can build housing, but it's actually on the private side. They have to build the housing. That's where we partner. And that's where we'll look at like maybe land. Um, we, you know, we don't do money that might be on the state side, but we don't do that at the local level. We try to look at land where a, a developer can come in and put in workforce housing. And then it really benefits the entire community, but it has to be private and public partnerships because you also don't want the government to be doing that. There's a lot of things the government is not good at, right? And developers, they know exactly what projects should look like. They know how they have to pencil. Um, you know, you want to keep that expertise within inside that realm and so that they can build it and build it well. And that's where you need to you need to partner with their private and public partnerships. And that's what we've really stayed focused on. So you're right. Like a lot of people are like, oh no, these developers, but you actually need them. You need them to create the housing. Again, economics 101 tells us we need housing of all types because people will say to me, hey, Mayor Shevi, we need affordable, we need affordable, we need affordable housing over here, right? Well, you want housing of all types to alleviate the stress and strain because what happens is landlords will hold you hostage and the people that can afford housing, they will live in that low-income housing, right? Because there's no other place to go and they can pay a little bit higher. So landlords see that and that's what keeps everyone sort of locked into this big predicament. So you need housing of all types. How, you know, again, Housing Economics 101 tells us anytime even a new market rate project goes up, that helps alleviate the supply and demand because that's what economics is. It's about supply and demand. You know, the more supply you have, then the less demand there will be. And that's where we see stabilization of rents. And that's what we're really trying to get to stabilization of rents and to where, you know, we're seeing some of these increases that are outrageous. And it's, it's, it's absolutely astronomical, right? To see some of these uh, rents go, you know, 20, 30, 40%. And if we have more supply, you won't see that happening because the demand comes down. 
We are talking with Reno Mayor Hillary Sheevy. Thank you so much for joining us for In-Depth. And again, if you haven't had a chance to go down and explore downtown, I know there's people that live in the south part of Reno. Maybe they live in the northwest and they really haven't come down to see. This is the time to do so. We have a lot of great events. You know, we were just celebrating Riverfest and it was an amazing weekend. It was so great to see so many people down there celebrating. Uh, So I'm really looking forward to seeing the changes that are coming as we continue to revitalize and create a downtown that we can really be proud of. So thank you so much, Mayor Sheevy, for taking the time to talk with us this morning for In-Depth. All right. Thank you so much. Your nonprofit organization could be on this show. Email PSA at lotusradio.com. Good morning and welcome to In-Depth. I am your host this week. My name is Connie Ray and I am absolutely excited to talk with Captain Russ. He is with us from opdera.org. And Captain Russ, thank you so much for being here today. I am beyond thrilled to sit and talk with you. You started a nonprofit organization after you took a trip to visit, which most people would not want to go out and visit, the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. And that is where this whole concept of Opdera was born. Welcome to the show, and thank you for being here. Thank you, Connie. Thanks for having me here and helping to get the word out about the truth about plastic waste in the oceans. So take me back to how this all began for you. You decided to take up sailing. Is this kind of where this all began, or where did your love of the of the ocean come from? Yeah, great question. I got to go back a little bit. I was a <laughs> I was a deep sea diver in the U.S. Navy, um, and uh, just fell in love with the ocean and, and being able to spend so much time underwater and to the animals and everything is it, beautiful. Um, and prior to that, I, I fell in love with sailing when I was a kid, sailing on Lake Tahoe. And the first time the wind grabbed the sails and the, and the boat just propelled, it was amazing. I fell in love with it. And a long time after those things, uh, I was reading an article about this thing called the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, and this was like 15 years ago. And I thought, if there's any truth to this thing, everybody needs to know about it. So I looked for more uh, articles to read and more information, and everything that I read indicated that it was a island you could build a house on or it didn't even exist. And I thought neither of those could be true. Um, but I felt that it was so important that I wanted to see it for myself and I wanted to show as many people as possible what's really there. And so I decided to get proper sailing lessons to learn how to cross an ocean and buy a boat and go see it. What was that like when you first came up on this enormous floating plastic? Because in my mind, I feel like it's miles on end. I've read that it's like over seven miles wide but when you sent me photos, you can't really see it. That's, that's why uh, some people say it doesn't exist because I've never seen an aerial photograph or a satellite image of, of this concentrated island of trash um, because it, 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 it's submerged under the surface of the water. Uh, some of it, it might be an inch or two above water. Some of it might be a couple of feet below the water. So you really have to be able to see in the water and be very close to it in order to see it. And when you are, you can see it everywhere. But you, you can't see it like an island or something like that. It is, it is uh, concentrated in certain areas, but it, it, it doesn't float above the water. It's 
really about the surface level and just below. Now, I went on to YouTube, and I've seen some of these videos on YouTube, and it looks more under the water is where you can really see right. the plastics that are, I mean, they've come together. Explain that part of it. How did it form an island? The uh, naturally occurring currents in the ocean uh, form ovals or circles called gyres. There's five of them in, in, all, in the world. And these currents are um, have been there forever, and, and 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 they're fairly strong. And when plastic gets thrown into the ocean, it does not biodegrade. It it, it breaks down into small pieces, but it it never really goes away. And it gets caught in the currents of these gyres. The biggest one is the is the uh, North Pacific gyre, which is um, that starts about 250 miles west of California and goes all the way uh, close to Japan. And um, it's this giant area that covers about 7.7 square miles. Wow. And inside the North Pacific Gyre are stronger currents that trap the trash. And so the trash is constantly flowing around in these currents and circling around. And it is difficult to see. When a big storm comes along, it, it disperses all the trash. Waves, 50, 70-foot waves, 100-knot uh, winds. Uh, it disperses the trash. And then when the weather calms down again, it, it collects. The debris collects and uh, gets concentrated again in another area. Now, after your experience of going out and seeing this great Pacific garbage patch, you founded the nonprofit OPDERA, which is Ocean Plastic Debris Education Research and Awareness, because you feel that most people just aren't aware of the environmental impact of plastics. You basically say we've been lied to. Yeah, we have been lied to. I, I'm i a fairly personable guy. I, I like to meet people, and uh, inevitably I I'm, I'm mentioned something about this, and 90% of the people I meet say, what are you talking about? This is a thing. And so I thought I'll start this uh, nonprofit so that I can raise awareness about what's going on. I think that millions of people have to understand what's happening before we can truly mobilize and, and correct this problem. So you're saying that the way we recycle plastics today is just not, it's not working. I mean, obviously we have a seven mile long plastic floating island out in our oceans but you say it's it's a combination of, you know, we've got countries that we're shipping our plastics to, you know, a lot of third world countries that are taking in our our waste, our plastic waste. We, the the person on our end, because I'll be honest, I got a nice recycling bin at my house and I keep throwing my plastic in there. Mm-hmm. But you're saying it's a falsehood that barely any of that plastic is really being reused again. You're right. That's absolutely correct. The Great Pacific Garbage Patch itself covers about 2.5 million square miles. So it's a very large area of the, of the most highly dense collections of plastic that as a society, we, we were lied to by the petroleum companies, by the plastic manufacturing companies, by, uh, by companies that, that use the plastic for packaging. And we were told that, that there are these beautiful, wonderful brands and it's our responsibility to clean up the plastic mess by doing the recycling. And it was never intended to be recycling. It can't. 
less than 9% of all the plastic ever made was actually recycled. And the rest of it was shipped overseas to third world countries that had no ability to recycle it because it can't be recycled. And it ended up polluting all their area, all their country, and ended up going back into the ocean and then getting trapped in the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. What is your overall goal with Opdera besides awareness? Are you wanting people to, I mean, I would love to give up plastics cold turkey, but I don't know how. It's how hard. would I buy anything? <laughs> it is hard. Try it for a day. Mm-hmm. I challenge everybody to try it for one day. Don't buy anything that's plastic. It's really hard. You don't have another option mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of cases. Uh, my objective is to um, raise awareness and provide educational materials for people to to self-study and learn the truth about plastic waste in the world's oceans. And through that effort, mobilize millions of people that care, that will stand up. People smarter than me will figure out other solutions to the packaging problem and other things. And put some pressure on governments to hold the petroleum companies and the plastic manufacturers responsible. There are very few industries where you can profit off something and not have to clean up your mess. Right. And they knew full well that this stuff could not be recycled. And they knew that uh, they were greenwashing is the term. It's like, we're great. We're green. It's your responsibility to recycle, even though they knew that there was never any intention to recycle most of this plastic. We are talking today with Captain Russ. He is the founder of the nonprofit Opdera, Ocean Plastic Debris Education Research and Awareness. And you can visit his website. You can go to opdera.org if you'd like to learn more. How can people help you spread the word and what can we do? I mean, obviously, we've got to spend less money on plastics. We've got to get rid of it. How, where do we even begin? Like I just said, I'm like, I feel like every, like I'm looking at you through a plastic piece of glass (laughs) right now. And I'm feeling guilty that I'm sitting across from you with that uh, piece of plastic uh, between us. How do we truly make an impact and how are we getting rid of this garbage island that's floating in the ocean? Are we starting to take it out of the ocean? What is work that's being done to, to, to remove it out of there? A couple of things that, that, that anyone can do is, is to go to the, uh, to the website, opdera.org, O-P-D-E-R-A.org. And, and there's a couple of ways that suggest how you can help. And it's as easy as, as, as sharing it on your social media, talking to your friends about it. Spread the word. Um, we, we, we need some help with some people that are smarter than me to, 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 to do some things as well from a volunteer standpoint. And those are listed there. Um, and start holding politicians and, and plastic manufacturing companies accountable by, by speaking up. And you can do that by choosing not to buy the plastic item. If there's an option, a lot of times there isn't. But if you're buying some vegetables don't, or some fruit, don't put them in the bag, the little plastic bag that's right there. You can easily you know, just put it in your, in your cart and, 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 and your reusable bag. When you get home, if you're worried about it, wash it off a little bit because you're going to do that anyway. And little things like that can, 
can make a big difference and send a strong message to these manufacturers that if they're go going to insist on packaging everything in plastic, that we're, we, won't, we won't tolerate it anymore. Why do you think that you're so passionate about removing you know, plastics from the oceans, but bringing awareness to the fact that, like you said, we're being lied to. This plastic is not being recycled the way you think that it is. That Tide laundry detergent container isn't just miraculously getting, you know, new Tide put in it. We're reusing the thing again. It's not, it's all a myth. What is your overall goal? And, and what, where do you want to go with all of this? What, what do you want to see happen in the next 10 years? Stop plastic production, particularly single-use plastics. There are some wonderful things that, that plastic has done for our society, in particular in the medical community. Um, some, of the, uh, some of the methods that use plastic and some of the devices that use plastic are, is truly saving lives. We don't need an apple that's shrink-wrapped in plastic Thank and then you. put in another plastic bag. I saw that at the store yes. the other day. That's ridiculous. I've seen, I saw a banana the other day wrapped up, and I was like, a banana has a covering. You don't need to wrap it. It's wrapped with a peel. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so ridiculous. You're absolutely right. It is starting to take those small steps. You know, right before we started this interview, I was telling you that I've been using True Earth. It's a new eco-friendly laundry detergent that my mom got me hooked on it because I was complaining about all these big, giant plastic laundry bags or you know containers that you have to have. And I was so happy that I had this alternative, just like you said, making sure that you're not putting plastics in there. I mean, when you went to the farm back in the day and you picked your veggies, you didn't put them in a plastic bag. You know, you just put them in a basket and you went home. You wiped you the dirt them. off. Yeah, you the wiped dirt the dirt off. That was it. We didn't have to put them in a bag and put them in this. Uh, so it is finding those ways to do it on your own, right? To to find the ways to yeah. uh, to use less plastics. You're not saying not to recycle, though. You're saying if you have the plastics now, obviously don't just toss them in the trash. Where are those plastics going then? Are they truly just they go to waste management and then they send it off to China or whatever they country yeah, will take they, them and that's in it? In fact, China got so full of our plastic and Europe's plastic that they refuse to accept any more plastic shipments in 2018. China will not accept any more. The Yangtze River is the number one river in terms of contributing plastic into the ocean. The Yangtze River in China. And that's because that's where they were putting all this plastic trash. They were being paid to uh, accept this plastic trash and then they filled up with plastic. And then, so China actually refused to accept any more plastic shipments in 2018. And then um, uh, the Philippines has, has uh, followed suit. Sri Lanka is trying to end any plastic shipments that, that go there. Um, there. There are many countries that, that we just shipped our plastic to. And it ends up back in the ocean. And this is where you say we've been lied to because we thought we were taking it on. We were reusing it, you know, renew, reuse, recycle. We thought we were doing all these things. Uh, it's interesting that you bring up the Philippines. Uh, that's I grew up in the Philippines. My father worked for the government and I. I was there evacuated during Mount Pinatubo uh, when the when the mountain blew yeah. up. And I think a lot of it, too, is that we take advantage of these third world countries by saying, oh, well, they'll they'll take care of our trash when we all know that they don't have the manufacturing technology. They don't have the technology to actually take it in and recycle it. And then we're just seeing it now floating on a giant giant island out in the ocean. 
I am so thrilled to have met you, Captain Russ. I appreciate all that you're doing to spread this awareness. Again, OptDera is the name of the nonprofit. It's Ocean Plastic Debris Education Research and Awareness. I highly suggest that you visit the website, opdera.org, to learn more. Tips on there, too, on how you can be better at avoiding purchasing plastics, what we can do. Uh, I just want to say thank you. I, I'm always, always, always inspired and intrigued by people like you at the same time. You have found something that really drives you, and that yeah. is you want to see a clean ocean. You want to see less plastics used, and I just thank you for that passion. I think that we should all find something, and yeah, you got me going right now because I, I do. I feel like it's a struggle every day. It's an argument that I have with my husband. We actually, seriously, I'm going to tell you this, we argue about separating trash because I'm like, I put the plastic bag in there, and he's like, what are you doing? You can't recycle that. It goes in the trash. I said, you're a liar. Somehow, right. some way, we can reuse that plastic bag, and he's like, I'm telling you, you make my life a living hell because you put it in the recycling and I got to take it out. But it's because I'm so frustrated with plastics. It just it's all consuming. And you've really just brought some great awareness for myself. And I hope for everyone that listens to in depth this morning, because this is something we really do need to tackle. I'm starting to already. Um, what was that movie with Kevin Costner? Where they uh, water world, water world, right? Maybe plastic right. world. I don't want to live on a plastic island. Yeah, uh, by by 2050, it's estimated by the United Nations that there will be more plastic in the ocean than fish. The weight of the plastic in the ocean will weigh more than the weight of all the fish in the ocean. Which is also detrimental to our, you know, just our food population and and the food that we're eating because these fish are eating the plastic. It's getting into us. This is then causing cancers and other illnesses because these it's food. That's true. In fact, uh, just the other day there was a news article uh, where um, some researchers have found plastic in, in our blood. They sampled hundreds of people and, and found plastic in our blood. Uh, it is in us now. And those chemicals are not good for you. In fact, let's talk about a receipt when you go shopping. When you touch a receipt, the instant that you touch it, your estrogen level goes up a thousand times greater than your daily average estrogen need in your body just by touching the receipt. And now, the last time I was in California, I saw stickers on the recycle bins and the trash bins at the grocery store. You're not allowed to put receipts in the trash anymore. And we've been exposed to this for decades. We've used plastic products to take care of our families. We don't know the full extent of what kind of toxins are wreaking havoc on our bodies. And we we need to stand up and be aware of what's going on, put a stop to it. Captain Russ, thank you so much for all that you're doing to spread the awareness and to be here on the show with us today. Uh, again, you can find out more information about Captain Russ and his nonprofit, OpDera, Ocean Plastic Debris Education Research and Awareness. And again, the website is opdera.org. Thank you for joining us on In-Depth. I'm so excited to have met you, and I'm so appreciative of your your overwhelming desire to make a change and make a difference, not only in our community, but in the world. And I thank you so much for doing that. Thank you for having me, Connie, and thanks for helping us spread the word.
Thank you for being with us this morning and listening to In-Depth. Again, I'm Connie Ray, and we've been talking with Captain Russ. Please find more information about Opdera at their website at opdera.org. Thank you for listening to In-Depth. Thank you for listening to In-Depth. To have your nonprofit organization featured, please email psa at lotusradio.com.